Eventually we'll get there. Is it working now? There we go. It's working now. We're strong. Uh, we got a lot of strong leaders in the church. We um, pastors away. Pastor Ryan on vacation or not on Christmas holidays. That's good. But uh, we are we're really blessed that we can carry on with leaders like Melanie and the worship team. Just you know, not missing a beat. And we are thankful for them. Didn't they sound great this morning? Amen. Hayden was. Uh, I appreciate Melanie reading my scripture. But Hayden was back back when the world still had a modicum of normalcy. You remember just you know a little while when that was. Uh, not too far back, but we were in Nashville. Typically, we go to Nashville um, for uh, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas as well. And and I think we were up there at Thanksgiving this year. Hayden was four or five years old. I can't remember the exactly how old she was. She was still very young. And and we were uh, eating at Chick Fil A. Me and and uh, Lisa and and uh, uh, my sister's family and and my mom was up there as well. And just enjoyed a meal of Chick-fil-A. Of course, it was packed like always. I mean, you've never been to a Chick-fil-A that was empty, right? I mean, it could, it, I think if they were over 1 a.m. in the morning, they would still be packed. I don't know what it is uh, special about the Christian chicken, but there's something special <laughs> about the Christian chicken there. Anyway, we were, uh, Hayden was playing, the kids were playing. My sister has a, a daughter who's about Hayden's age, uh, a son's about Blaine's age, and and so Blaine was there too, and they were, they were all just having a great time. I mean, we were enjoying our, our chicken sandwich or nuggets, whatever it was, and the kids already finished theirs, and, and just all of a sudden, I mean, just this blood-curdling yell, this scream comes from the entire restaurant, and it silenced the entire restaurant. I mean, this is, everybody heard this, okay? This was not just a, a child that, that, you know, fell on skin in her knee. There was, there was danger involved, okay? There was something serious happening, and the entire restaurant of, of, of uh, the Christian chicken was, was paying attention, right? And, um, of course, as parents, we immediately recognize our child's voice, right? And so we immediately recognize this was Hayden. And something happened with Hayden. We weren't sure what it was. We, uh, it, it, it sounded like something out of a horror movie. I'm not joking. We didn't know if the blob had attacked her. We, we weren't sure if, if it was, you know, uh, Voldemort or, you know, from Harry. But we weren't sure, we weren't sure what the source of the danger was. We just knew that Hayden was in danger. And so, um, immediately we sprung into action and, and I mean, it was Chick-fil-A. It's the safest environment on the planet, right? What could go wrong in Chick-fil-A? But for some reason, Hayden was in danger. And so everything's moving in slow motion. We see Hayden, you know, coming towards us there and, and we're, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so finally Hayden, which he's safely in our, in our arms, we, we're, we're intensely questioning her what's going on, what happened. We thought maybe the kids were arguing, but this wasn't just a, a sibling disagreement or even, you know, cousin disagreement here. There was more going on here. And she's sobbing and, and just, you know, we're, we're trying to get it out of her. Of course, you know, language is limited. And, and so finally we, we just point to it. Just point what's going on. What, tell us what's going on. We can, we can keep you safe, Hayden. And so her little trembling hands point and we found a culprit. The Chick-fil-A cow. <laughs> now she had seen the Chick-fil-A cow before, but from a distance, right? And from a distance, the cow was fun. It was enjoyable. But up close and personal, she recognized that, that it justified logic to have a cow that was six foot tall.
So we relaxed. <laughs> we said, it's okay, honey. The cow's safe. You don't have to worry. It's not going to eat you. <laughs> I think sometimes we're the same way with God as Satan was with the Chick-fil-A cow. Well, God is safe from a distance. We're okay as long as he's this abstract, gentle giant in the sky who just kind of watching over us and everything's going to be fine. But, you know, we, we know that, you know, he's there. But when he gets up in close and personal in our lives, sometimes it kind of defies logic. Sometimes we recognize up close and personal, there's something different here. This, this, is, this is not normal. God is, he's so much more than, I mean, from a distance. He, yeah, I understood, but up close and personal where he's involved in my life and that gaze turns to the things that are wrong and that judgment hits. We let out that blood-curdling yell sometimes. <laughs> we just begin to shake. It's mind-blowing. And it can get pretty scary if you're not prepared. I think our scripture this morning, Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14, uh, you know, there's lots of good news in this scripture, but, but if you pay really close attention, there's some pretty scary news in there as well. Yeah, they've been called back. Yeah, there's going to be, you know, the weeping is over and, and lady, young women will be dancing and all this joy is happening within the scripture. But if you read just a little bit closer, you recognize that God's one that scattered them to begin with. They were in exile because God put them there. God is not to be trifled with. God is not one to be taken for granted. He's not just this giant genie in the sky who exists to grant our wishes on command. And so we read that because we, we have such contrasting views of God. I, I remember you know, this little boy, the, the joke of the little boy coming in from Sunday school one morning and he's like, you know what? I love Jesus, but I'm not too sure about that God character. <laughs> but they're the same God. The, the same God that sends the people into exile is the same God who calls them back. The same God who, who um, judges the nations and smites them for disobedience is the same God who saves them. So what do we do with this image of God? How do we make sense of this? Which is he? Is he the lion, the roaring lion who, who's going to devour us at the, mo one, at the single moment of disobedience? Or is he the gentle shepherd who goes out and, and leaves the 99 and, and seeking the one? Which is he? And I think our scripture today, it, it, it challenges us to answer this question because otherwise... It's difficult for us to really be in relationship with someone that we can't trust. I remember when I first began um, 
studying for the ministry. And I had, you understand that the church that I grew up in was a very different church than the church that we have today. Uh, uh, very strict. Uh, um, everything would send you to hell, including wearing shorts in the sanctuary, right? <laughs> if you sneezed wrong at the preacher, you'd go to hell. Now, I was a kid who kicked the preacher in the shin, so what does that say about me, right? I mean, much less Melody who would sneak out at camp, but that's a different story. <laughs> so a different, and so this view that I grew up with was certainly a God, a view of God that wasn't to be trifled with, right? It was a God who demanded to be taken seriously. It was a God who had definite rules, and if you broke those rules, there were certain consequences. And it wasn't any, no doubt, there were consequences. Uh, we went to Trevecca, you think, well, that's when you were a child, but at Trevecca, this is 25 years, 30 years ago at Trevecca, we couldn't walk across campus in shorts. Now, I won't tell you the kinds of conversations they're having at Trevecca today, but let me just tell you that it's well beyond our shorts legal, Okay. <laughs> So I was sitting in Country's Barbecue. It's a place we always have to eat when we go back to Columbus, Georgia. And so I'm trying to work out because in seminary, I'm hearing a completely new vision of God. I mean, I always knew Jesus existed, but, but you know, without a lot of thinking, we just kind of... I don't know, we, we just kind of separate them. We, you know, okay, here's God, that's the Old Testament, and this is the New Testament, so Jesus is all lovey-dovey. And you just don't mess with God. Thank goodness for the cross, right? I mean, if it were not for the cross, we'd all be dead. And so you kind of justify this stuff, but, but seminary challenges us to think a little bit differently and to, and to kind of begin to reconcile, yeah, this was the same God. The one that saves people is the same one that judges people and, and the one who, who, who essentially called a, a homeless guy and, and said, hey, I'm going to give you this land over here. Oh, by the way, it's, it's occupied and, and you're going to have to fight a war in order to occupy that land. And, and by the way, for the rest of your life, you're going to be surrounded by these people that you displaced from that land and they're going to be attacking you. you you don't think about these things necessarily until you get into seminary and, and they're challenging this stuff and so I'm, I'm liking this new lovey-dovey version of God and, and so I'm you know, my, my mentor and I were trying to discuss some of this stuff and, and this older gentleman who, who, um, had evidently been eavesdropping in our conversation and, and now I'm getting older. I understand why you eavesdrop on conversations because you don't have anything better to do and you just want to make sure the next generation is okay, right? It's our jobs to protect that next generation. Otherwise they go off the rails and we get what we've got right now. That's a different story. <laughs> So he comes up to me and he says, I'm sorry, but I was listening to your conversation over here. And I just want to tell you, we got to fear God. Took me by surprise. I mean, I, I was talking to my mentor. I had no clue that I had an audience when I'm talking here. But he goes, yeah, we got to fear God. You know, like that. I mean, I thought he was going to attack me. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I thought I had a pretty good comeback. I said, well, I understand that. I said, but now... Do you want your children to uh, love you because they're afraid of you? Or do you want your children to love you because they respect you and because 
you love them. So, so you know, is it, is it out of fear that your children obey, or, or is it out of love that you obey? His response: You got fear of God. Okay, <laughs> I was pretty proud of my answer. You know, <laughs> but you know what? It's kind of interesting how parenthood kind of changed your perspective. I wasn't a parent then. I am now to Blaine and Hayden. And I'm telling you that it gives you a new perspective. <laughs> 17, 18 years on the other side of that conversation. I now believe that I was a little bit too quick to answer that question. There are times that I need my children to fear me. When they're in danger, I don't need them questioning my instructions. Don't play in the traffic, you will die. Period. There's a snake, move. You know, we don't need to have a philosophical debate on why you need to move away from the snake, whether or not it's a poisonous snake, whether it is a poisonous snake. There's really no snakes in North America that are going to kill you within a moment's notice. We don't need to have that conversation. We just need to know you need to move. Don't question it. Simultaneously, there, there are times that, that we need to allow conversation and allow moments for discussion, but one of those moments is not when it comes to the eternity for the soul. When we're questioning what is right and what is wrong, they, they need to understand that there's definite things that are wrong. There's definite things that are right. And, and there are sometimes that we can debate in between there. What we were discussing this morning before, oh, a guy, Melanie's like, do you want them to stand for scripture or do you care? They're going to be standing a long time thinking of scripture. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't think anybody's going to go to hell if they don't stand for scripture. Yeah, those are things that we can talk about. But, but there's other things that, that, that God is telling the people of Israel, especially during their times. At a time, you know, they had food rules, right? The reason they had those food rules was because, well, they didn't have the proper way to prepare their food. And so God didn't need to equivocate on that stuff. Look, don't eat pork. Don't eat cloven animals. You'll die. Period. Now, they interpret this in a religious context and things like that, and that's fine. Whatever it takes, just obey. <laughs> Life depends on it. Our scripture today is almost contradictory. We're several generations beyond Abraham and Jacob, and, and the inheritance of, of God's promise to Abraham, have, they inherited the promised land. God fulfilled his promise. But then they disobeyed and they got sent into exile. And Jeremiah is clear that God did this. So are God's promises conditional? I mean, does he, does he take away the blessings every time we disobey? I mean, these are questions that we have to ask because they're important. These folks had, had endured a, a series of bad kings, and, and so when we ask these questions, you know, yes, God did it, but, but really it's ultimately a, a result of, I mean, God warned them what would happen, right? Back, back during when they were still, still uh, before they ever inherited the promised land, they, they, you know, God had given them the judges and stuff, and you know, yeah, we won't be like everybody else. We want a, we want a, a king. Yeah, you don't want that. 
It'll be bad news for you. And yeah, we want to milk. We want to. We want a, um, a king. And he's like, you don't want that. But ultimately, they chose him. And so now they've reaped the consequences of that. And one of those consequences is they lost the promised land that God gave them. They they knew all too well. They, they had a respect for God. They knew all too well the, the dangers of getting too comfortable with God. And to this day, Hasidic Jews will not utter the name of God. Uh, they, they believe that their, their tongues may fall out or that their vocal cords may just knot up and they'll choke to death. They, they, they don't take God for granted. The Hasidic Jews don't take God for granted. They understand that. So even when writing God, G space D, they, they know better. So now, and, and you know, they, they've got years with, with God. I mean, you can remember one of my favorite scriptures is, you know, back when they're in Exodus and, and Moses is on the mountain and they, and they're complaining to Moses said, you're always visiting with God. Why can't we visit with God? And so Moses goes back to God and he says, okay, they want to visit with you. And he says, all right. God comes down, he visits with them. What's the first thing they do? They run to their desk and they say, okay, you'll you visit with God. Otherwise we're going to die. <laughs> it's another instance when they were in exile and they were complaining. And, we don't like the quail. Okay, we'll send you manna. We don't like the manna. You know, God eventually just gets tired of all the crying and complaining. And he sends a bunch of snakes over there and starts killing them all. Holy cow. Remind me not to complain to God. <laughs> that same God ends up saving them from the snake. So there again, we, we, we have contrasting images of who God is. Is he the God who sends us to hell for every little bit thing that we do as I grew up with? Or is he the God of Jesus who just lovey-dovey and everything's okay? Here's the reality. Both answers are yes. Otherwise, we have an incomplete image of who God is. If God is simply just the God who's there just to save us and no consequences for anything, it's not God, it's an idol. If God is the God who's zapping people ready with a thunderbolt to toss in any disobedient sinner's direction, he's Zeus. We, we, we don't have a Greek myth. Christianity is not a Greek theology. Christianity is a complex deeply rooted religion that is a combination of Judaism, combination of, of uh, Western um, Greek mythology. It's, it's a, you know, our, our, our views, that some may come from Joel Olstein sometimes it seems like. You know? <laughs> we got to be careful where we get our images of God. We gotta be careful what we believe about God. We, I feel like sometimes we've kind of lost that respect and I'm all for the Jesus who saves and the baby in the manger and, but we also have to remember that it was that same Jesus that, that ultimately died for us. Life can be harsh. And we're told that God sent Jesus. That God's only son was sacrificed on a cross and, I mean, Aren't you glad God's not your biological dad, right? (laughs) 
Is that us? Have we forgotten that there are consequences to taking God for granted? I know a lot of folks that, that stay just close enough to God that they're comfortable with him at a distance, but they're not too great. They're not too happy with him kind of hanging out in our lives. Huh? I told you, we have to be careful what image of God we believe, what image of God we read. On the internet today, uh, and podcast, I can pretty much do a Google search or whatever search engine you use, and, and I can find a sermon that basically reaffirms anything I believe about God. If I believe that God's okay with me being gay, I'm not, by the way, but just in case. <laughs> if, I'm, if I feel like that's okay, I can probably find a person that, that says that stuff. If I believe that, that God's okay with me going out and getting drunk on every night, I can probably find a pastor that would say that's okay. You know, we, we look for our authority of who God is, not in each other, but in our scripture. Certainly the church informs tradition. But we can't just pick and choose the scriptures that tell us the image of God of who he is. Otherwise, it's like I said, that's not God. A very popular view of God today is what they call moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a long word, just called MTD, okay? It basically said God exists, he created us and watches over the world. God wants us all to be fair and nice to each other. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. God is not involved in life except when I have a problem that needs to be fixed. And good people go to heaven when they die. I'm sorry, I got some bad news for you. If that's your God, that's not Yahweh. Now, I've given you a lot of news this morning, okay? <laughs> I didn't come up here this morning. Ryan didn't send me an email. Oh, yeah, Jeff, I need you to really beat the congregation up this morning. The reality is, is I probably haven't said anything that everybody in this congregation doesn't agree with this morning. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear the good news. The good news is, yeah, there are consequences to sin and disobedience to God. How's that good news? Yes, Jeremiah identifies God as the source of their suffering. How's that good news? Jeremiah believes God is, is the one that sent him to Babylon. How is that good news? And people died in exile. How is that good news? Well, the good news is that, that God's judgment is his first act of salvation, not his final vote, not his final voice. I tell my kids all the time, I'm going to tell you when you're doing wrong because otherwise you could be heading down a 20 mile road and at the end of that 20 mile road the bridge may out and you may fall to your death. I'm not going to wait till mile 19 to warn you that bridge is out and I'm going to tell you at mile 1. God has given us a scripture that simply says here's mile 1 and the consequences of sin are death. It's the bottom line. But that's mile 1. And he continues that act of salvation all the way to mile 20. And if ultimately we choose to go off the bridge that doesn't exist, that's our choice, but, but God's not the one that does that. God's not culpable for our sins. That's the good news is, is that, that there's overwhelming good news in the scripture here in that, that God called them back. 
God has, has a, he's, it's a foreshadowing as we read this. I can't help but read this as almost in the context, kind of a foreshadowing of the prodigal son where, where the father doesn't stand at the house in the door saying, yeah, he's still not here today and he can go back to his own business. We have an image of the father who stands not at the front door, but at the edge of the property and says, when's my boy coming home? That's God. I can't help but read this scripture in the context of Ezekiel and the Valley of Dry Bones where, where God says, hey, Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones here. Speak the good news to them. Speak into their life, but it's dry bones, God. They've long been dead. I told you to speak to them and they will come back to life. And not only do they come back to life, but their sinews come back on their muscles, their flesh, everything about them. They all come back to life. They thrive. They're ready to go again. God's called them back. He left a remnant. Uh, there are five words here. The blind will see. The deaf will live. All of these things, the deaf will hear. All these things are good. The five words in by this scripture are remnant, return, ransom, redeemed, and rejoice. And every one of those are present here today. So, so for all of Roberto expecting God, expressing God's judgment, he saved them. He's called them back home and, and the good news is overwhelming. All we gotta do is just turn away from our sins. And when we turn away, God is there welcoming us back and says, please join in relationship with me. And by joining your relationship with me, don't keep me at a distance. I can't help you at a distance, but, but if you invite me into your life, if you'll listen to my warnings, if you'll listen to my judgment, you thrive. Even if you're dead in your sins, you can come back and live in me. And I believe that Jeremiah is reminding the people of God, and, and not just the people of God, but the nations. I think sometimes we, we incorrectly take a view that God is hostile to the nations. But, but if he is hostile to the nations, America wouldn't exist today. We wouldn't have access to God today if God was hostile to the nations because he originally came to the Jews. So the judgment of God, the good news of God is, has never just been for the, peop, the people of God, but for all the nations to hear. And it's exactly what he's told them in the scripture is, is nations, pay attention. I am saving these people. And by default, by saving these people, through them you also will be saved. Yeah, without the full context of scripture, God can be disorienting. And our temptation is to choose a side, but the reality is, is he's both the angry lion because it, the anger comes from have you ever had a child that you knew was on the wrong path and it's just so frustrating to know that that child was on the wrong path and despite your warnings, that child continues on the wrong path and you're doing everything you can to redeem that child's path and to call that child home. The child continues. That's God. It's not like I'm so angry now that there's no hope for you. It is within my anger there is hope for you. For years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just limp, but I make violent swings in my views and understanding of God. And I'm, I'm thankful today that, that God continues. And anytime I have a question about who God is, I'm reminded that it's in the manger that God revealed himself. It's in the of Jesus. And, and the three primary events by which we interpret and we view God today is that manger, 
the crucifixion and finally the resurrection. That yes, it's a possibility of death, but through Christ, there is life. For 33 years, he dwelt among the people. And just as he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, he walked with his disciples. He taught them and he loved them. And, and, and through them, the, the world would know his love. He taught them to pray, to heal, and to love one another, to bear with one another, even if they crucified you. Prior to Jesus, the law demanded justice. An eye for an eye. Jesus, was, Jesus taught us that, that God alone was a judge of justice. To turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. But Jesus is also the one that called religious leaders the brood of vipers. He's the one who cleared the temple when they were abusing and exploiting others in the name of God. He accused them of polishing the insides of their tombs. Why? Because he recognized that they were serving in a dead religion. And he wanted them to thrive. He wanted them to have a life abundantly, life everlasting. Israel expected the warrior king that they could cause the nations to fear. But God revealed himself in the child in an animal trough who cries, whose cries draw kings to himself. We celebrate and commemorate the truth, this truth here at Christmas time. We celebrate the, the memory of God leading them out of exile and sparing their children. Because in exile, as we've taught, as we learned through our recent ex, um, study in ex, on exile with Pastor Ryan, our primary concern, and I think you'd agree with this, in exile is not for ourselves, but for our children. Because we want our children to thrive. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you know that, that Wesley was highly influenced uh, from the Puritan traditions and, and adapted uh, many of their traditions and, and uh, put together and changed them and modified them for, for the purposes of, West, of uh, Methodism. And, and uh, if you are familiar with the old Lilness Hymnal, in the back of the old Lilness Hymnal was, was a um, um, copy of this prayer traditional prayer that Wesley adapted. Uh, traditionally, they would use it for the new year. And so I ask you to stand with me this morning, and, and uh, uh, Courtney is going to put it up on the screen with us. And so as we close out today, I'll have a parting blessing, a uh, uh, benediction, but as we close out today, I think it's fitting that we, we take this prayer that Wesley adapted from the Puritans, and, and we pray it ourselves. And it just goes, if you pray with me, I am no my own, but yours. Put me to what you will rank with me, rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, ratified in heaven.
You hold out your hands as you traditionally do. As we anticipate this coming year, may the Lion of Judah judge us and bring us back home and out of exile into covenant relationship with a shepherd who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, not around, and beside the still waters to salvation. Go in peace.